friend, welcome to Brilliant Business Moms, a podcast all about helping brilliant women just like you to build a business on the side while spending time with their families. I'm your host, Beth Ann Schwamberger, and we're going to have a great time together. Let's get started. Today on the show, I'm so excited to welcome Sarah Shaw. She's actually a third-generation entrepreneur. She has done it all. She's been in the film industry. She's had a successful handbag business. And Sarah is particularly skilled when it comes to reaching out to celebrities and working with celebrities to get her products more recognition and to make more sales for her business. And she now teaches other entrepreneurs how to do just that at sarahshawconsulting.com. Sarah's also a single mom to nine-year-old identical twin girls. So fun. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here today. So... Sarah, I know that when you launched your handbag business, you had a lot of setbacks before you kind of found that missing key to success. So I'd love to kind of hear that story of how you got started with that business and what finally clicked and made it a success. So I started the handbags kind of on a whim when I was working in the film business. Uh, I was doing costumes for movies and I just had this idea, like totally random, never thought in a million years I'd ever be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, like you said, I'm third generation and I was like, that is not the life for me. I want a job, a paycheck and, you know, retirement. (laughs) And I somehow got this idea for this bag and I did it at night and on the weekends and, you know, kind of shuffled things around and figured out how to do it and asked everybody I'd ever met in my entire life for some help and just kind of felt really dumb in the process, but I didn't know how else to do it. And the one real big thing that I did not learn or even know to ask anybody was about correct pricing structure. (laughs) So when you have a product-based business, you know, where you're actually laying out money to create a product, then you have to sell it for a profit, right? Versus if somebody listening has a service-based company and you're creating a program or coaching package or something, obviously you might be paying someone to help you do it or something like that, but you're not, you know, you pay for it one time and then you sell it multiple times. So it's got a very high ROI. Whereas products, if you don't correctly price them can put you out of business. (laughs) So in the first couple of years that I was in business, I was not pricing my products correctly. I mean, it would be like, let's say something cost me $25 to make, which sometimes I wasn't even sure what that exact number was. <laughs> and I would guess $25 and then I might wholesale it for, you know, $50, right? And then thinking the stores would sell it for 100 But it doesn't, markups and stuff don't really work that way. There's, they're a lot more complicated and I just had no idea really what went into that. So, you know, in the beginning, I just kind of reached out to everybody I knew and, hey, I started a handbag company, you know, want to, want to come buy my bags. And it was really sort of hand to mouth in the beginning, you know, selling them out of the back of my car and calling again, everybody I knew. That was the one thing I was not afraid to do was ask you know, people who, who I knew even randomly, you know, like, oh, we met once, hey, want to buy a bag? (laughs) And, you know, and then friends of friends started turning other, other friends onto it. And it kind of spread throughout Los Angeles that way. And I would go to, you know, movie sets, you know, like friends of mine would be working on a TV show. And I'd ask if I could come and set up my bags at lunchtime. And, you know, because I did all I cared about was 
getting bags in the hands of people because that's just, I don't know, that's what seemed logical to me at the time. I did, there was no social media or anything back then in 1997, 98. And so I didn't really know how else to reach people. And, but what I didn't realize is that I wasn't really pricing my bags well. Like, you know, let's say I go back to that $25 bag, you know, I might've been selling it for even 30 or $40 at these sales just because I wanted to get my, I thought, oh, if I'll just get my money back, then I'm doing fine. But I didn't really think about the fact that you needed to be profitable. So I forgot a really important part of being in business, um, actually being able to feed yourself and all that. So I think once I started to figure that out and we started to become, you know, started to make some more money. And then I, you know, you'd think me having worked in the film business for so long, I'd be like, oh yeah, ding dong, let's just get some products to celebrities. But I'd never even occurred to me because I, nobody was doing it back then. So it wasn't something that I could kind of look at what other people were doing and try to copy it. Or So one day I was having dinner with the costume designer that I'd worked with for many years, and she was lamenting and complaining to me that she had to use Donna Karen clothes for this movie that she was working on and with Donald Sutherland, and that he had to be dressed in all of these Donna Karen clothes. And that's kind of when the light bulb went off, and I thought, oh, my God. If this big designer, you know, is because she was huge, you know, in the late 90s, if she is getting her products into movies and giving it to celebrities, maybe this is something I should do too. You know, why not? And so it was kind of that light bulb moment. And I, you know, started to reach out again, (laughs) calling anybody I knew who might have a connection in the film business, asking if they could ask somebody they knew who had connections. And I I started to get some bags to celebrities, you know, through their agents and managers and publicists. And I just started seeding celebrities that way. And I then, I, of course, I had no idea what to do with it because, again, there was no social media. <laughs> and, you know, store buyers weren't really on email back then. And, you know, and I'd been building this steady email list with all the people that I'd been selling my bags to, you know, on TV shows or out of the back of my car or on the corner, wherever I could get a sale. And so I had a pretty big mailing list, maybe close to a thousand people at that point. And I just thought that was huge. And so I started letting those people know that I was getting bags to celebrities and I had no, no proof or anything. And then about five or six months after I started giving stuff to free to celebrities, they started showing up in magazines wearing them. And so Liv Tyler, of course, was on Party of Five back then. And she showed up on the pages of InStyle holding one of my bags that I'd sent her. I mean, who, I couldn't even remember how long it had been, months and months. And then I was waiting somewhere in an office and picked up an Us Weekly. And there's Kristen Davis, you know, from Sex in the City, carrying another bag of mine. And so it was in those moments, you know, when I'm standing up screaming and like, oh, my God. And so I started sending those to magazines, those pictures. Hey, here's so-and-so with my bag. And magazines started writing about it. And then they wanted to, you know, they were hungry for it because not that many people were seeding celebrities with products then. It was usually just, you know, candid, random shots. And so I was a little bit of a pioneer in in that, you know, just because not too many people were doing it yet. And it seemed logical to me coming from my movie background, but it wasn't really until I started doing that, that my business really started taking off. And I got stuff to probably over 70 A-list celebrities. And it led to making a bag for Julia Roberts for Ocean's Eleven. And then again, for America's Sweethearts. 
And, you know, once you start showing, once magazines put that in and, you know, InStyle ran with it and then Bergdorf Goodman in New York bought the bags that were in Ocean's Eleven and, you know, Sundance Catalog ordered the bags I made for America's Sweethearts. And so it starts to really snowball. And then it wasn't really until I made a bag for uh, Legally Blonde and it happened to be in the, they actually never used it in the movie <laughs> or I never saw it in the film, but it was a, it was used in one of the advertising mm -hmm. posters. And that just really shot my company. We went from about half a million in sales to almost a million dollars that year because Nordstrom's, we pitched it to Nordstrom's and was like, Hey, here's our, our picture, my bag sitting right next to Reese Witherspoon, you know, in this big ad. And so they actually bought about $150,000 worth of bags to sell on their website. And Sony Pictures was so excited about it that they made these mini movie posters so that they could put inside of each of the handbags that they sold. So, you know, those kinds of things got me on Access Hollywood and E-Entertainment. And, you know, and once you kind of get on those TV shows and, you know, you're showing what you're making, everything starts to build on itself. And it, and it really, you know, I mean, I have to thank my lucky stars that I was out to dinner with my friend that night and she complained to me. <laughs> I always say to her, it's all your fault. <laughs> and I kept my business going. <laughs> and, and so it was, you know, she was with me actually the very first night I ever brought one of my bags out in public, you know, and a store buyer commented on it in the restaurant, you know. And so it was kind of these funny moments mm. that give you that impetus to keep going and, you know, sort of show you that what you're doing, you know, isn't something that just you and your mom think is cute, you know, because that can also be that I find the downfall of a lot of entrepreneurs is they have this great idea, but really only they and their mom like it. And they, you know, just because somebody else likes it, you think it's going to be really great. And so I think it's just cautioning and making sure that, you know, you've, you've got something that more than two people like, and looking at those, looking at the numbers and making sure that you're going to be profitable, and then just kind of rolling with what comes in front of you. Sure. So Sarah, I'm curious, how did you get the addresses of, I guess, maybe it's not the celebrities themselves, but their agents, their stylists, all of that. How did you figure out where to send your handbags? Well, like I said, way back then, there was no real use of the internet, you know, in a big way. So I actually called people. <laughs> I just started calling agencies back then to ask, you know, who represents, you know, so and so. And then I would just write them a letter and or sometimes I just sent the product there with a letter saying, can you please give this to Sarah Jessica Parker or whatever. And I just had really had no way of following up to know whether they were ever actually delivered. You know, I could call and ask and oh, yeah, we gave it to them. And that was kind of the end of it. And then, but now there's a website, a big company called contactanycelebrity.com. And they, you can pay, I think it's about $30 a month or you can buy a year membership. And they have pretty much every famous person on the planet's contact information. So you can go in there and get agents, managers, publicists, lawyers, you know, whatever you're looking for, for that person. And you can easily contact people these days. Oh, that's so neat. Contact any celebrity.com. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about when these big department stores noticed your bags and placed these huge orders, which I know a lot of moms listening are thinking like, that would be a dream come true for my business. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure it was also really overwhelming. Do you have any advice on how to manage 
a huge order like that and make sure everything works out, gets delivered, that it's a profitable venture, all of those things. (laughs) Yes, I can. So one of the things that I would highly advise anybody in today's world who's dealing with department stores is to take it really slow. Like I always advise my clients and friends or whoever I know who's got a product is department stores are not always your best friend because they can love you today and hate you tomorrow and and they could return all your stuff and you know bank, possibly bankrupt you overnight. So I always suggest getting a, a really solid base of small stores, boutiques, salons, you know, baby shops, whatever caters to your product. And, and then once you've got, you know, a base of those stores that are actually supporting you, then take a turn to department stores or mass market, you know, the Costco's and Target's and big box stores and look at that at kind of as icing on the cake and, and really take it slow with them because these days a lot of the stores will take your stuff technically on consignment. And if you read through the tiny print on your contract with them, it'll say like after 30, 60, 90 days, whatever their terms are, that if it hasn't had a specific sell through, that they're returning it all to you. Wow. And, and it didn't used to be like that. It used to be, you know, years ago that they would just, you know, put all your stuff on sale and then charge you back markdown money and all these kinds of things. But now it's a lot of the times, unless you have an established relationship with them, it can be sort of on consignment, quote unquote. And so I would suggest if you're, if you do get an offer or you're pursuing larger stores is to say, you know, I want to do a small test. I'm not, most stores are going to, they will want to do a small test anyway, but really encourage that and be thrilled that you, that you get that opportunity because if it doesn't go well, it's not going to be as much of a financial disaster for you if, if it doesn't go well and they return it. So I would say start small, you know, if it's a, a chain, you know, that's got 80 or 90 stores, then maybe say, you know, let's test it in your 10 top stores, you know, and really make sure that you work with the buyer so that you know that they're buying your absolute bestseller product. Don't let them just be like, oh, I love this one over here. And then you're thinking, oh God, that's like my worst selling product. You know, you want to speak up because I, I mean, I used to turn people all the time and actually learned from my dad who told me stories about my grandmother who was a penoir set and lingerie designer in New York City in the 20s through the 60s. And she died before I was born. So I never knew her. But my dad used to tell me stories about how, you know, like Mr. Bloomingdale's and Mr. Sachs and Bonwit Teller and all these, you know, famous department stores in New York, all the owners would come for dinner at their house because she sold to all of them. And she really wielded with an iron fist what they could buy. You know, she'd be like, don't send your buyer in here. She has no idea, you know, what, what sells in your store. You know, I've been selling to you for 30 years and I know what sells and just don't even bother sending her in. I'm just going to send you what I want, you know, and it's going to work. It's been like this for years. And they, you know, my dad said he used to see them like kind of trembling, you know, at the dinner table, like, Yes, Mrs. Shaw. Yes, Mrs. Shaw. <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, but it worked. You know, she was really confident and knew which products of hers were going to sell to which market. You know, obviously, if, if you're not going to sell the same thing to Dillard's chain as you are going to sell to Neiman Marcus, you know, so or Nordstrom's, right? And so you want to make sure that you're really confident in 
the product that you're selling to them in what the cust- who the customer is for that particular product because people have different product lines you know if they're kind of a diverse company you know you might sell you know if you sell baby blankets or something you might have some in the $20 range and some in the $80 range so you know Dillard's is going to get the $20 ones and Nordstrom's is going to get the $80 ones so you know and and most of the time i think what happens is people assume that the buyer is the know-it-all right and that oh well if they want that that must be the right choice you know but mm-hmm. you really got to go with your gut on this one because if you don't feel that it is you're probably right you know and the buyer is just she's guessing you know it's like unless you sell something that she's duplicate like you know if she already sells blue pens and you're like oh here's a better blue pen you know she might say well we sell a billion blue pens so i'm going with your blue pen not the green one you know in which case you could reason with her and understand her thinking. So, you know, you kind of have to investigate that a little bit. That is a very interesting advice that, to be honest, I would not have thought about, Sarah, but it makes total sense that, you know, you're that expert on your products and you want the department stores to come back and buy from you again and again. And so it really is your job as the business owner to set them up for success. Exactly. So Sarah, I know that in 2006, you launched your very own company after you had worked with partners on with your handbag business and some other businesses, and you were able to do 500,000 in sales in the first two years from your garage with just one patented product. So I want to hear more about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of an animal when it comes to business because I I had, you know, tons of investors by the time I ended up closing my handbag company in 2002, we had lost our major investors after 9/11. So I kind of cobbled along for a little while and realized I just couldn't function without investor money and so I ended up closing in 2002 and kind of messed around a little bit and had some other companies where I sold other people's products like website portals and because there was you know, really nothing out there like it. People weren't really, you know, selling a lot of other people's stuff. I think e-bags might have been around by then, but not too many other websites. And I really realized how much I didn't know from my handbag company. Like I, I didn't know how to do Photoshop and I didn't know how to really do email marketing because we'd hired that out. I didn't know how to build a website because we'd hired that out too. And so I started training myself in these couple of years how to do all these things that I like just physical, like technical things that I just had never had to learn before. And I didn't really know a lot about email marketing because the guy who did our our emails did the email marketing too. <laughs> and we'd only, I'd only had a website for a couple of years with Sarah Shaw handbags. And, and so when I came up with this idea for the handbag hanger and I think I patented it in 2003 and I was slowly starting to sell it into stores. You know, I was calling, of course I had all my old store lists. I was thinking, Oh, easy peasy. I've got, you know, 1200 stores that carry handbags, you know, that love me and bought from me for years. I'm just going to call them all and this is going to be like, and you know, I'm going to sell a zillion of these things, you know, in by tomorrow morning. That was kind of my attitude. And none of them wanted it. And it was the most unbelievable thing to me. I couldn't believe it. I was like, but you sell handbags. Why don't you want a handbag organizer? This is so clever. And, you know, and they were just, none of them wanted it. None of my old sales reps wanted it. 
you know, and I thought for sure, you guys are all repping handbag lines, you know, don't you want my handbag organizer? And it was a closet organizer and nobody wanted it. And so it kind of lit a fire under my rear end. And I was like, I am going to show you all that you are missing out on something big. (laughs) And I kind of, in a way, thanked them later. Like I, you know, I was like, thank you for saying no, because I don't know if you could have done as well as I did. And I literally, you know, kind of went back to my roots of how I started my handbag company. I called, you know, I started looking on the internet at that point, right? It was pretty handy. (laughs) And I started looking for stores, going back to reading tons of fashion magazines and looking for the the right stores in there, Googling all kinds of search terms, you know, and I, I wasn't, you know, super proficient on the internet at that point. And, you know, 2003, 2004, it wasn't what it is today. Let's just say it's still no social media, (laughs) you know, and maybe there was Friendster or something back then. And, and I started looking for overseas distributors because I thought, you know, this might be a way to, to start selling, you know, in mass quantities. And I, you know, investigated with QVC and with Walmart and, you know, I tried out all these different avenues. And what I realized was that the, again, kind of coming back in was that the small stores were really the ones that were making up the bulk of my revenue. And so I kind of turned back in and, and started just finding my first year in business. I was like, all right, I need a hundred stores, you know, to make the kind of revenue, per, you know, personal revenue salary for myself. And we got to about 85 stores. And then by the end of the second year, we were selling in, you know, close to 400 stores. And it just started to snowball. We, we went after the media. We got it to celebrities. I made special handbag hangers for Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt when they were still married, you know, and then it got put into Us Weekly. Red Book wrote about it as kind of one of their new like widget gadget things. And, you know, and I was always like, yeah, whatever, Red Book, you know, who cares about that? We sold like 900 of them from being in Red Book. And then I was like, woohoo, I love Red Book. <laughs> and you don't really, I think when you're like, you know, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And I think you kind of get caught up with celebrity magazines and, you know, the L's and Mary Claire's and Vogue's and Bazaar's. And you don't think about, you know, the um, House Beautiful or House and Gardens or, you know, Red Book type magazines. But those magazines actually have one of some of the largest reaches and subscribership in the country. So nobody poo-poo those in the future. But I think it was, it was really more my tenacity and, you know, the, the constant calling. I mean, I probably called a minimum of 10 stores a day and I hate calling stores. <laughs> I hate doing sales calls, but I would just kind of psych myself up and be like, all right, here we go. You know, and I put, have all my selling material around me, you know, in the beginning when I wasn't a hundred percent sure of the different ways that I wanted to pitch this. And, you know, I just try it out, you know, getting on the phone, you know, oh, they're not here. The buyer's not here. When will she be in? I don't know. Uh, Well, when's a good time to call? Does she really like to look at stuff on email or do you think I should mail something to her? Maybe she's more of a mail person. And I mean, I asked a bazillion questions until they were like, I have to go now. Goodbye. And, and I just like, I just don't take no for an answer until people tell me to, you know, shut it and don't call them again. So I just figure as long as they leave the door open, I'm going to st- keep putting my foot through it. And it just, I think it's that per- persistence and tenacity that really makes a difference with any kind of business. You know, it's, are you going to pick up the phone? Are you going to send the emails? Are you going to put it on social media? You know, are you going to start 
you know, spend an hour a day commenting on other people's Instagram posts or something or whatever you feel like, whatever avenue is driving more traffic to your business and every business is different. You know, I don't think there's any right or wrong way, but I think that kind of have to decide. I, for me, it was always how much money do I want to make? Per, not, I don't like to look at it as how much does the company gross? Cause you know, it's easy to say, Oh yeah, I want my company to do a million dollars in sales this year, but you don't really know what that means. I mean, it could mean $10 in revenue, right? <laughs> you know, so what I like to do is to me, it makes it seem much smaller. Like when somebody says, I want to make a million dollars, I kind of freak out and be like, wow, that's, you know, that's a, that's a big order. Like I don't really know what that means, except it means a million dollars. So what I think is a really good thing to do is you take that million dollars, let's say, and divide it by the profit that you make on each product. And then you get to see how many units you actually need to sell, right? Mm -hmm. At that profit to equal the million. And then let's just say it's, you know, a thousand. So then you say, okay, I've got to sell a thousand units this year to make a million dollars. Boy, that sounds like a lot, you know, and then you, then you say, okay, well, let's just say stores are going to order, you know, 10 at a time, right? So then all of a sudden you need a hundred, right? A hundred stores to order 10 units to get to a thousand units. And then you say, okay, a hundred stores. Wow. I don't think I could get a hundred stores in one year. And then you kind of break it down further and say, well, if I got 25 stores and they each ordered four times a year, then I'd still make my money. So it starts to break it down into smaller numbers where you're not so freaked out because then you're like, oh, I only need to get 25 stores. And I'm totally making up all these numbers because <laughs> I, and you know, so I, I need to get 25 stores to buy X number of times a year in order to make the salary that I want to make. And that to me seems like something doable. Like you can set a goal for something like that to try to set a goal to make a million dollars, I think is setting yourself up for disappointment and to be a loser because you, you have no idea what it's going to take to get there. So this technique kind of teaches, shows you kind of a roadmap, you know, of how, how many stores need to order how many times to sell the number of units that you need to sell in order to make the profit that you want to make. So once I started doing that with this new company, I realized quickly, you know, that I, the first year, right, I wanted a hundred stores. I didn't quite make it. And then it gave me more fuel for the fire and and then like as social media started to come into play and I could push the media a little bit more and then it kind of just kept going on from then. And I, what really sort of set that business up for me was maybe in year two or three, I went, decided to go to New York because I wanted to get, try and find some sales reps because none of my old reps would take me. And I just wasn't that happy with the reps that I could find. And I ended up finding a company that could license it from me and they, already made like all kinds of dorm room accessories and, you know, laundry baskets and closet organizer things. And so it was kind of an easy out for me in a sense. I mean, I still sold to my stores, but I didn't have to work as hard because I was getting the royalty money <laughs> from this other company. And it was kind of about the time that I started my consulting business. So it, it kind of all worked out, but, but it was really taking that five, everything I learned over those five years and really distilling it down into how I could make it work for my one hit wonder, my one product in 12 colors and, and really turn it into something that I could support my family. You know, I didn't have anybody else 
paying my bills. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really amazing. And I think you're spot on with the advice to take that great big goal that seems almost impossible and break it down and break it down some more and get it to that point where you can wrap your head around it. And, you know, even when you were saying that that example of, okay, I need to get in 25 stores this year. Well, then you could think about maybe every 10th store you call says yes and places an order. So then you know, okay, well, I just need to call X number of stores each day and, you know, I'm going to hit right. my goal. Exactly. So Sarah, I know with your current consulting business and you know, you also have a podcast and you've interviewed a lot of celebrities on your podcast as well. So I know that you're still kind of using that strategy of connecting with celebrities, getting the yes from them. So I would love to to get some really specific advice from you on, you know, how other women in business can be reaching out to celebrities to where they actually get noticed and are able to get Get their products into the right hands and, and get that exposure. Mm, sure. So the main thing when thinking about getting your products or service to celebrities is you want to make sure that you're getting it to the right person, right? Because just because you love celebrity A, you know, your customers might, you know, they prefer celebrity B. And so you want to really know your customer base and, and which celebrities would resonate with them. Because if you go after celebrity B, and I mean, celebrity A, and they don't really care about her, no matter how much you push it, you know, look, she's wearing our stuff six times, you know, and they're like, yeah, whatever, we, we like celebrity B better. So it, it's kind of a big effort for no return. And so you want to be really clear about why you're getting it to that celebrity, you know, and obviously, like people who are never in magazines or never, you know, and you never see them, it's not really worth your time. Unless the name is so huge and they happen to send you a picture of them with it or a thank you note. But if you can find celebrities that are out and about all the time, you know, especially like, let's say you make baby hair clips or something and, you know, so somebody just had a baby and the kid is, you know, one or two years old and you, and they're out in, stro in the stroller all the time being photographed, you know, everywhere in LA or New York or wherever they live. That's a better option because then you're, pretty sure that if they like it, they're going to wear it out and they'll get them and the child will get photographed wearing your product. So you kind of want to take those things into consideration. A lot of Google searches, you know, looking for, you know, pregnant celebrities or celebrities that just got married or celebrities that just got divorced or celebrities that like pink or whatever relates to your business. And then reaching out to them, you know, using contactanycelebrity.com and really trying to you know, write, write a letter, an honest letter, you know, saying, you know, why you want to send them this product, you know, oh, so-and-so just had a baby. And, you know, I see them out all the time, you know, with this really cute baby blanket. And I think she'd really love mine too. And I'd love to send one to her. And most of the time people will say yes. It's pretty rare that they pass on it, depending of course on what types of celebrities, you know, you're contacting, but most A or B list celebrities their handlers will usually accept most gifts for them as long as it's not, you know, controversial. But kind of normal, you know, everyday products are pretty easy to get into their hands. And so once you can get something to a celebrity, you know, once you've got email confirmation that they are happy to pass it on, 
then, you know, they'll give you the address and say, you know, just send it here to us and we'll get it to them. And you can, once you can confirm that they have it, you know, you can always write back. And if you send it with a tracking postage or FedEx tracking, then you can easily, you know, you'll know when it got there and you can email them a day or two later and, you know, hey, just making sure you got our package for so-and-so and just wanted to know when you might be giving it to them. And once you know that the celebrity has it, then, you know, if you're a daredevil like me, and I've never had any problems with this before, is usually I have for myself and for my clients, we put a page up on their website that just says celebrities. And we put a little disclaimer at the top that says these celebrities have the XYZ product. And then at the bottom, we put another disclaimer saying that these celebrities all received this product as a gift, that they have not made any comments or shared their opinion about it, and were not paid to accept the gift. We're not paid, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that wasn't clear. And so this is all a free process. You know, the only thing it costs you is some time and obviously the cost, uh, the hard cost of your product. And then once you have confirmation, right, that the celebrity has it, you can put their picture up there and, and then you can start sending that out to celebrity magazine editors, you know, the InStyles and Peoples and Us Weeklies, and seeing if you can get them to write about it. And also other magazines and bloggers are interested as well. I mean, it, they may not write about the celebrity, but it gives you credibility that you didn't have before. And, you know, and then it kind of comes to looking for pictures, you know, doing some Google searches or putting a Google alert or going to some of the celebrity photography websites where you can buy the photo. But also if you see them up there, a lot of times they just show up in some of the the weekly magazines. And obviously, if the photo is printed in the magazine, you don't need to purchase it from, from these websites. You know, you can just scan the picture from the magazine and put that on your press page and send that out to every single person you've ever met in your entire life or who's on your mailing list immediately. Because, you know, old news, you know, celebrity old news is old news kind of faster than any other kind of news. So you don't want to be in a magazine or see, get a picture of a celeb wearing your product and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going on vacation for three weeks. I'll post this when I get back. You want to like put off the vacation and post it and then go on the vacation. And some people are always like, well, what do you do if, you know, if it's just something you only have a couple of and you have to make more and so-and-so celebrity shows up wearing it in People Magazine? I'm like, no problem. You just put a little sign up on your site that just says, due to our placement in People Magazine, this item is now on back order until blah, blah date. And that's happened to me many times. And, you know, I've sold thousands of things that have been in People Magazine and people will just or continue, you know, it's like, place your order now if you want to get it quantities are limited or something like that. Even if they're not, you still put that on there and it it creates desire. And then people will just place their orders and pay for it before you even manufacture it and ship it to them because they just have to have it. So there's always a way around, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm going on vacation for a month and I just don't want to, you know, it's summertime and we're going to be traveling and I don't really want to, you know, I'm like, yes, you do. You just want to get the money And you can always say it's going to be shipped just on back order for a month or two months or whatever, and people will still order it, you know, so don't, don't get turned away or turned off by those kind of potential windfalls. You know, you kind of, you want to just take the windfall when it comes and sort of figure out how to deal with it after you've been blessed with the good fortune. 
Right. I mean, that's a good point because I kind of did something similar with one of my products where it was like a Kickstarter campaign and essentially I'm taking pre-sales on this or, you know, pre-orders on this product and that allows me to then go place my great big order with the manufacturer. And honestly, it's kind of a smart way to do business because then I'm not out all that cash up front. So yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that the same would be true if you get this windfall of traffic and customers because of a celebrity being seen with your product. Yeah, take the take the pre-orders or the back orders, whatever you want to call it, and now you have the cash to to go place a bigger order with your manufacturer or, you know, even if it's let's say a handmade business, well, now you have the cash to go find that sewing not assistant or whatever. Yes, yeah. <laughs> whoever to to help you produce more product. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was fabulous, Sarah. <laughs> That's great advice. I'm trying to think. I, I feel like we've covered a lot already. Is there anything else that you would love to talk on or share on? Well, I, I think one of, one of the things that I'd love to add is that, that to kind of make sure that you boost up your self-confidence when doing all these things I've talked about. You know, like I know calling stores can be really scary and, you know, thinking, oh my God, I, you know, I've been, I've loved this celebrity since I was five and now I'm actually trying to sell, you know, send them one of my free products. It can be intimidating. And, you know, and I think you have to sort of get into that mental space where you're just like, you know what, we all eat, poop and sleep. So, and I know all the moms can relate to that and and that, and that these people really aren't any different from any of us, you know, store buyers aren't better than you and they don't always know more than you and celebrities, same thing. They're just normal people who happen to have a job that makes them really famous and everybody knows their face, but people don't actually know them, you know, so they have probably less friends and are less active in their life and, you know, have to kind of hide more and don't really go out that much. I mean, when we used to live in LA, we would go to the pumpkin patch and there was literally a row of benches, like a little mini grandstand for the paparazzi to stand on, on the outside of the pumpkin patch or or the Christmas tree lot. It was both at the same place. And because they had to keep them away from the celebrities who would go there with their kids. And, you know, so you're walking around, you're just like, do to do, you know, having fun at the pumpkin patch with your, you know, two year olds or something. And all of a sudden you look up and like, there's Amy Adams with her kid or somebody like that. And, you know, the photographers are just shooting like crazy with their, you know, 40 foot long lenses. And you kind of think, God, I mean, it's like they can't even go to the pumpkin patch without being hounded by paparazzi and people staring at them. And so, you know, it kind of makes it sort of a little bit more humbling to think of them as that kind of a person and sort of bring them down. You know, it's you're like, wow, I, I don't have those problems, but I've got all my other, you know, high class problems. And so, it, but, you know, when you look at a celebrity in that kind of situation, you think, wow, how does, how do they handle that? You know, it's like they have no privacy and no personal life that isn't scrutinized by everybody. And yes, people are like, oh, they chose that life. Well, they chose to be an actor or a, you know, politician or whatever their, you know, fame, a writer, you know, a tennis player. You know, it's like you'd probably same thing if you saw Venus Williams standing next to you at a restaurant, you'd probably be like, whoa, you know, and you'd recognize her, right? But you, 
you know, and, but you don't want to bother them or you, you kind of start to realize that everybody's gawking at them or staring. And, and it's just that it's, it's not that they actually chose that. It's that's what our society has done to them. So I think if you can keep that in mind, kind of when you're contacting, you know, store buyers, like stores that you might think are kind of famous, you know, that these people just sort of have that reputation and it might not be who they really are. That's true. That's a great point. And like you said, we all eat, sleep, and poop. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't care how much money you have. We're all people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great mindset to have. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I've loved your perspective and just the unique ways that you've grown your your multiple businesses. As we wrap up, I love to ask every mom entrepreneur this question. Do you have either a funny or an adorable mom moment that you could share? So when my daughter, I have my I have identical twin girls. So when one of they were probably three, maybe two and a half or three, we were at my mom's for her birthday, which is the 5th of July. So we're up there for her birthday in the San Francisco Bay area. And my sister was there too. And she says to my daughter, go over there and go see your mother. And she goes, that's not my mother. And my sister says, yeah, right over there. There's your mother. That is not my mother. And she looks at her and she's like, what do you mean? That's not my mother. That's my mama. And she goes, yeah, I know that's your mama. And she goes, it's my mama, not my mother. And (laughs) And my sister looked at her and said, well, okay, then go over and see your mama. And then she looked over at me and she was like, how does she not know the word mother? I'm like, we don't use the word mother. You know, it's like, there's your mom or there's your mama. And it was just hilarious at the time that she had no idea that mother and mama were the same words (laughs) or meant the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of makes it like I think in their mind they're probably like right, well, like exactly. that's her name. Right. Her name is Mama, you know? <laughs> like Mother. Right. It probably would have been the same if she'd like said go see Sarah and she would have been like who's that? You know. Yeah. And uh yeah. I'm not going to tell yeah. you the taking off the diapers and with the poop in it and jumping all over their crib story cuz that's just too gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I I feel like I've heard more stories about the diaper like fiascos when there's twins uh-huh. for some reason. Like, I don't know. It's like they somehow they like team up together. And oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never, that, let's just put it this way. I never put them down for a nap with just a diaper on ever again. They always had pajamas or a onesie snapped or something they couldn't figure out how to take off. But yeah, yeah. it only happened that one time. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Sarah. And can you just remind everyone one more time, where's the best place um, that they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me at sarahshawconsulting.com. You can find me on Facebook at Sarah Shaw Consulting, Twitter at Ask Sarah Shaw, Pinterest. I think Pinterest might still be at Entrepreneur and Instagram at Sarah Shaw Consulting. So, or Sarah Shaw, and maybe just Sarah Shaw. <laughs> but then all the links are on our website. And also, if you guys are interested, we offer a free download on our website of uh, the celebrity letters that we use to contact celebrities. So there's a sample of a letter we wrote to Sandra Bullock, and then there's actually a blank template that you can fill in. So that might help you get on your way to contacting a celebrity. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. 
Sure. Well, thanks again, Sarah. This has been great. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. And of course, now it's your turn to head out there and be brilliant. Brilliant.